And uh, let's take a look tonight at verse number one. And he said also unto his disciples, there was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig. To beg, I am ashamed. I am resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him and said unto the first, How much owest thou under my Lord? And he said, A hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill and sit down quickly and write fifty. Then said he to another, How much owest thou? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, Take thy bill and write for score or eighty. And the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. And I say unto you, Make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when ye fail, they may receive you into everlasting habitations. He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. We're going to hone in on that last verse that I said tonight. Verse number 10. And let me read that one more time. It says, He that is faithful in that which is least is faithful also in much. And he that is unjust in the least is unjust also in much. The title of the message this evening is Sweat the Small Stuff. Sweat the Small Stuff. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for uh, how we've already been blessed by the music and the singing of God's people. Lord, I pray that we will realize that it is important to be faithful in the small things and the big things, and that you are in control of all of it. Lord, I pray that you be with me and that you fill me with the Spirit's power. In Jesus' name I ask these things. Amen. You've probably heard the phrase before when someone has said, don't sweat the small stuff. And what is that meaning? Well, it's meaning as long as the final outcome is okay, and it turned out fine, don't worry about everything else that happened because we're okay. So don't sweat the small stuff. Well, I'm thankful to be able to say that God knows about everything. And God is about every detail of all of our lives. And I really thank God for that. I'm thankful that God is in every single detail. You know, you look at different stories in the Bible, and we find that God uses small stuff to do great things for him. Uh, think about with David. David shows up on the scene, and everybody is scared to death because Goliath is there. And he's saying, how, how dare they make fun of our God? How dare he mock us? Someone needs to go over there and take them out, right? And they finally just said, David, go ahead. 
And uh, Saul tried to help him out with his armor. And we know about Saul. He was head and shoulders taller than everybody else, right? And so if David's not fully grown, he's going to have some technical difficulties, right? And God showed David to pick up five smooth stones. And he picked up those five, five smooth stones. And on the first shot, he let that thing go, hit Goliath right in the forehead, and he prevailed over that giant. God used small things and it used in a big way. I think of also with the feeding of the 5,000. Go find out if anybody brought any food, right? So the disciples are going around trying to find somebody with food. And they said, hey, there's a lad here. Five loaves, two fishes. What are we going to do with that? Well, Jesus Christ can take the small stuff and make it be used mightily for him. And we see that over and over and over again in the Scripture. Here in Luke chapter number 16, we find that there is this steward, and his boss was finding out that the steward was doing a really bad job. And he's pretty nervous about this because he thinks he's going to get fired. And one of the references in the verses that we read, he says, I can't, dig, I can't dig a hole or any of those kinds of things. And so it pictures it to us in our head that this guy was an older man because you probably, as you're older, don't really want to dig ditches. Now, I'll tell you, I'm 40 and I don't want to dig ditches. So I, if any of you are any older than me, you don't want to dig ditches either. Probably Brother Aaron, you don't even want to dig ditches. Right, okay, so uh, he says, I don't want to do that. I'm ashamed to go beg, so I've got to make something happen and make something happen fast. And so he goes over, and he goes to some people that owed some money to his boss, and he says, how much, how much oil? And he said, uh, do you owe? And he said, oh, about 100. Pay me 50. How much wheat do you owe to the next guy? And he said, uh, four score, 80. He goes, all right, write a check for that. And he hurried up, and he was trying to make friends quickly because not only is he going to lose his job, but quite frankly, he's getting ready to lose his home too because he probably lived with his boss. So he was trying to make friends real fast. And it comes to the end of this parable, and his master says, you know what? Quick thinking. You did a good job there that you are making sure that you landed fine. You are really good when it comes to making a deal when you have to, right? And then Jesus Christ turns this around, and he says how we as God's children should not be really good with earthly things, but we should be really good with the spiritual things. We should be thinking of what will matter for eternity, not for the things that will wither away on this earth. And so we find that we should be using our money, our talents, and our abilities on spiritual things that matter to eternity. What are you using your money, your talents, and abilities for? I was reading in the commentary of one of John O'Rice's commentaries of Luke chapter 16, and he was explaining uh, what he believes is about this parable in things. And he was just talking about in that commentary the importance of using all that you have for the eternal. 
He said he was in seminary, and it was wintertime where he was at. And as he was walking down the street, he noticed a guy in the middle of winter with a sports jacket on. Everybody else was wearing big, heavy coats, and this guy was just sort of shivering. And the Lord just led him to talk to him about the things of God. As he was talking to him about the things of God, uh, the man said, listen, I'm a Catholic. I really have no idea what you're talking about. He goes, let me show you from the Bible on how you can know for certain that you're going to heaven. The guy said to Brother Rice, he said, listen, I've never even seen a Bible before. Look, I know you're trying to be nice to me and tell me about some things, but I'm cold and I'm homeless and I just need a place to stay. Well, Brother Rice said in the commentary, I didn't have much money at all, but I knew I had some change in my pocket. So I knew if he was going to hear about my Savior, Jesus Christ, I needed to help him with his physical need right then and there. So he went to a place, and talking about this place, I guess it's some sort of hotel, but it was a place that was warm and had cots for rent for the night. Doesn't that sound lovely? Motel 6 sounds a lot better than that, right? And he said, well, how much would it be to rent a cot for the night for this guy? And the person said, 50 cents. So he had 50 cents in his pocket, and he paid his way. And that homeless guy had another homeless guy friend, and Brother Rice had a friend with him, and he paid his way. And he emptied his pockets, and he said, there you go. You've got a warm place to stay tonight. I hope some point in time you'll consider my Savior, Jesus Christ. And that man started to cry right then and there. And he said, no one's been this nice to me before. I don't know much about your Savior, Jesus Christ, but if he's anything like you, I want to know more of him. And that man trusted in Christ, and he was gloriously saved that day. It's just a special emphasis that we as God's people should be using our money, our talents, and our ability, not for the things of this earth, but for the things that last forever. And if we're going to live that way, and we're going to sweat the small stuff, so to speak, number one, we need to be faithful with the basics. We need to be faithful with the basics. As God's people, there are just certain things we know that we're supposed to be doing. And I'm going to ask you tonight, are you doing it? Are you living for the eternal? I talked about David already this evening when he defeated Goliath. Remember in 1 Samuel chapter 16 when he was anointed king over all Israel. When they showed up at the sacrifice, all of Jesse and his sons were there and and Samuel's getting ready to anoint one of them and they're like, is this all your children? Is anybody else? And they're like, oh yeah, there's the youngest, David. Well, where's he at? Well, he's somebody's got to watch the sheep. We didn't think you were going to pick him, so have him come in. And so he came in and God said, That's the man. Anoint him to be king over all Israel. How would you have responded once you've anointed, you've been anointed king over a country? I think things would have changed in my house pretty fast. There's a lot of things that I would not want to do if I was just anointed the king. Uh, My parents would say, hey, you need to fill up the wood box with wood. Hey, you talking to me? You know what I'm saying? You want a retirement? 
you know, you want me to take care of you? I'm the king. Let somebody else get the wood. That, I probably would have struggled with that a little bit. In fact, if I was anointed right now, I would probably struggle with that uh, just a little bit. But where do we find David? He goes back. He keeps watching the sheep. He just went back to the basics, just waiting on when God wanted to use him. So here's some things I thought of, of just some basic things that we should be having in our life. And I'm probably preaching the choir a little bit in this because this is a Tuesday night crowd. But can I just say this? Go to church. Go to church. Boy, the church has been attacked, has it not? And they try to say that church is non-essential. My friend, church is very essential. And we need to go to church. Now, you need to be careful, and if you're sick, I totally understand. But I know so many people that are using 2020 as a reason for not going to church. And it's, it's sad. There's people that are just flat out honest with me when I say to them, hey, I've missed you. Where have you been at church? I hear you haven't been coming lately. They'll just say it nowadays. I'm lazy. I mean, it's super nice. I can just pull up Facebook or I can get on YouTube and I can just watch a service. And sometimes I watch a couple of different services and I think that's all that I need. My friend, you need to meet with God's people and you need to be in church. A couple of things about going to church that I think would be helpful to us. One is, if you know you're going to church, prepare to go to church. You know, if you wonder why I'm always rushed and uh, it seems like I'm always running behind and those kinds of things, you know church is coming, prepare for it. When you're going to work in the mornings, don't you prepare a little bit for that? A lot of us do, but when it comes to going to church, we don't prepare. Well, come on. I mean, Brother Matt, I have to prepare so much all throughout the week. I just need a little break. Well, don't we, shouldn't we be giving God our best and prepare? Maybe we need to iron clothes the night before, right? Some of you, I don't even iron. Well, you don't need to worry about that point then, right? Um, maybe you need to prepare meals a little bit earlier. Maybe you need to make sure the kids go to sleep or take baths sooner and or at all. You know, that's always helpful. But anyway, we're just, you're thinking about it. It's purposeful. I'm going to prepare to go to church. One thing would be good, try to show up early. Just see if you can shock Pastor Schwanky. And show up five minutes early one time. See what happens. He'll just, uh, this might be the big one, right? But it's showing honor, and it's showing I'm being prepared, and I'm going to be on time at the ranch. I tell summer staff all the time, being on time is being five minutes early, right? And if we think that way, then we're giving God our best. And when you get to the service, I would say, Try to pay attention while you're here. I meet a lot of spiritual robots. You know what I mean by spiritual robots? They come in at the same time. They walk in. They don't really say hi to anybody because they got to get to their chair. And you got your chair, your favorite chair that's in this auditorium, and it's conformed to your body. And so it's very important. And you get there and you just sort of fold your arms, and you just say, well, let's see how good of a service this is going to be. 
And it's based upon when the preacher gets done preaching, if it's a good service or not. You know what you need to work at? Paying attention to the sermon. One thing that's really been a help to me is just taking notes when you're hearing the sermon. Just take that note and write it down. And I've got a a go-to-church Bible that I have that I take notes over on the side. And boy, if you start reading that Bible and then you got these sermon notes on the side, it can be a real blessing to you and a help to you. Oftentimes, people's world is turned upside down and they wonder how they could get help. But you're coming to church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, you are getting help. The same God you're wanting help from is the same God that is showing pastor what he should preach. And so if we would just sit up straight and pay attention to the preaching of the word of God, we would get all the help we need. And it'd be a wonderful thing just to get back to the basics. So let me encourage you, even though it is a Tuesday night, and you all did so well to be able to be here, and I'm proud of you all for doing it. Go to church. Can I say this? Read your Bible. Read your Bible. There's some churches I go to, and maybe some people have several Bibles, and I understand that. I have several. But some people, they just leave their Bible in the pew at church because they know they're not going to look at it through the rest of the week, and they come back, and it's helpful because it also saves their favorite chair as well. But it'd be really important to you if you would just start reading it. You know, I told you I've been in, I've been in church my entire life, and I, I thank God for that, and I'm spoiled rotten because of that. I really am. But as I read the Bible, I find out more and more I don't know everything in the Bible. There's people that show up as I'm reading through the Bible, and I think to myself, who in the world is that guy? I was uh, studying for this sermon. Next thing you know, I'm, I'm in Zechariah. And sometimes you're doing rabbit trails, right? And you're like, how did I waste this much time? And why am I in the minor prophets? You know, that kind of thing. And I get to it where there's a second Joshua. And I thought, what? Who is the second Joshua? And I started reading over that. And I'm like, wait a second, this has nothing to do with Luke 16. You know, that kind of thing. And what it came across to me was, there's so much of the Bible that I don't know, but the Bible is a help to us. You know, if you could read God's word and know everything about everything and know everything about God, wouldn't that be sort of disappointing? I mean, God, and you know everything about it? And... um, It probably would be, but the deal is, it's unsearchable truth, these wonderful truths that's in the Bible that wants to be a help to you. And uh, you can go through and read something that you've read six or seven times in a row, and it's a great help. So get back to the basics. Go to church. Number two, read your Bible. Number three, uh, act like a Christian. Just act like a Christian. Let me ask you, how's your speech? How's your speech? There's people that, I, that come to the ranch, and I am amazed of their speech, the way they talk, the things they talk about. I'm amazed at Christians that cuss. Now, I'm just shocked by that. Or Christians that say, I don't cuss, but you just move one vowel, you just move one consonant that's so close to a cuss word. You know, we shouldn't be a part of that kind of nonsense. 
there's some people that say, I would never say that with my mouth, but they'll text it, which is very sad. They'll use the abbreviations for it. So let me just encourage you, go back to the basics, act like the Christian that you should be, and be mindful of your speech. Be mindful of your attitude. On the job, are you with everybody else that complains about everything? You go into the lunchroom, and what's in the lunchroom? Probably a whole bunch of complainers, I imagine, because that's what people do. Are you a part of that? They're not going to see anything different about you. They're not going to see Jesus Christ in you if you're going griping and complaining about everything. Shock the world. Show up at work with a smile on your face and say, can you believe we got to do this thing? And just say, God's good, isn't he? And just see what happens. They're like, they're nuts. They might think that the first few days, but if you're consistent with it, they'll notice that they're always cranky and you're always happy and they'll want to know what's different. So just go back to the basics about some things. Secondly, not only should we be faithful with the basics, number two, let me say this. Be courageous about asking God to grow your ministry. Be courageous about asking God to grow your ministry. Would you turn your Bible over to Judges chapter number six? Judges chapter number six. And we find the story of Gideon. Judges chapter number six and verse number 36. And here in this story, we find that Gideon is trying to figure out exactly what God wants him to do. And he is just making sure God's in it. And Gideon, a lot of people can be hard on him about the whole fleece thing, but God isn't hard on him about it. He's just making sure that God's in it. Look at chapter 6 and verse 36. And Gideon said unto God, If thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said, behold, I will put a fleece of wool in the floor, and if the dew be on the fleece only, and it be dry upon all the earth beside, then shall I know that thou wilt save Israel by mine hand, as thou hast said. And it was so, for he rose up early on the morrow and thrust the fleece together and wringed the dew out of the fleece, a bowl full of water. And Gideon said unto God, Let not thine anger be hot against me, and I will speak but this once, let me prove. I pray thee, but this once with the fleece, let it now be dry only upon the fleece and upon all the ground, let there be dew. And God did so that night, for it was dry upon the fleece only, and there was a dew on all the ground. And so God showed Gideon plainly, I'm in this, go take out the Midianites, Let's do this. I'm on your side. Well, then we get over to Judges chapter number seven and take a look at verse number nine. In between there, God is windling down uh, the children of Israel there as they're getting ready to fight the Midianites. And they started out with 32,000 people. And God tells Gideon, just ask whoever's scared and see if they stay or not. And this would probably be very disheartening. Okay, I know God's in it. I'm going to greet the guys and see how many will come. And God says there's too many. All right, how many of you are scared and you don't want to fight? 22,000 people leave. That would have been a little scary. So it's down to 10,000. 
And so then we get it to Judges in chapter 6 and look at, or Judges chapter 7, look at verse number 9. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Arise, get thee down to the host, for I delivered it into thine hand. And by the way, uh, also the verses that we skipped there, how many bowed their head and drank uh, when they went to the stream? And 9,700 of them did that. And he said, they can leave too. So we're down to 300, right? Look at verse 10. But if thou fear to go down, go thou with Pharaoh, thy servant, down to the host, and thou shalt hear what they say, and afterwards shall thine hands be strengthened to go down unto the host. Then went he down with Pharaoh, his servant, unto the outside of the armed men that were in the host. And the Amidianites and the Amalekites and all the children of the east lay along in the valley like grasshoppers for multitude, and their camels were without number as the sand by the seaside for multitude. And when Gideon was come, Behold, there was a man that told a dream unto his fellow and said, Behold, I dream a dream, and lo, a cake of barley, bread, tumbled to the host of Midian, and came unto a tent and smote it, that it fell and overturned it, that the tent lay along. And his fellow answered and said, This is nothing else save the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, for into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the host. And it was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and the interpretation thereof, that he worshiped and returned to the host of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord hath delivered into your hands the host of Midian. He divided 300 men to three companies, and he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. And he said to them, Look on me and do likewise. And behold, when I come to the outside of the camp, it shall be that as I, as I do, so shall ye do. When I blow at the trumpet, I and all that are with me, then blow ye the trumpets also on every side of the camp and say, The sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And God gave them the victory that day with just 300 men because God is a God that's even in the small details. He can use the small things and he can turn it into a big thing. You know, the fact of the matter is, we as God's people, we need to ask God to stretch us. We need to ask God to grow our ministry. And I think it's important to be able to say, God, I want you to grow our church and and, and those things. But what I'm talking to you about tonight is personally asking God, give me a ministry and help me to grow in that ministry. And as you grow in your ministry, I tell you what, the church is going to grow with you. Now, you would say, I don't know what my ministry can be. I, I'm sort of looking for a ministry. Well, dun, da, da, that's why you have a pastor. And uh, I'm sure a pastor has something to do. And he has something that he would love for you to do, that he wouldn't have to do. But the fact of the matter is, so often, we as God's people, we get stuck in doing the same old thing that we need to be asking God, grow. Grow me. Show me how I can do more. I remember when God was calling me to preach, I was nervous about anything. 1 Timothy 3.1 was preached. If a man desired the office of a bishop, he desireth the good work. And God called me to the ministry. And, and I just kept asking God, just try to grow my ministry the best I knew how. I had a friend of mine that say to me, Matt, you go to evangelism, just pray that God will let you preach in other churches. And when you get to preach in those churches, you'll know that God's answered that prayer and asked God specifically about these things. And so I did. I wish I could tell you that I got a great fanfare of how I got into these churches and things like that. That didn't necessarily happen. Normally, 
it was because evangelists got sick or the church forgot to schedule somebody. And they would say, hey, Matt, can you come preach at this church? And I'd be like, oh, okay. And the next thing you know, I realized I'm preaching at this church that I, I asked God for. This is awesome. And uh, I really enjoyed that. That's been a special part of April and I's ministry. Well, I remember, this was several years ago now, probably about seven or eight years ago, where the Lord was doing a stirring in my heart, and I didn't know what exactly what it was. And what was happening, I was still working at the ranch in the summer times, and I was in full-time ministry and full-time traveling in evangelism. And some of the camp responsibilities that I had, the ranch hired some other guys, and it was all great, and they did a great job, and they started getting those jobs that I used to have. And they said, Matt, you're going to evangelism, so you're just going to preach more, and that's going to be great. And I said, sure, yeah, okay. And, and um, I started thinking to myself, I sort of miss doing that stuff. I wonder why God took that away. And there were some frustrating times. I would say there was two summers where I kept asking God, God, I know there's something else going on, but I don't know what it is. Just show me. And I was, one of the jobs that I had left was I was getting the change out of the laundromat. And I get over there, and there is a change machine that's there. It's no longer there, praise God, but um, it was possessed by Beelzebub, you know, or it was Legion, for it was many, that was inside that change machine. And there would be a certain time window I could do it. It was always pretty hot in there. There was no air conditioning. I would go into that change machine, and you're supposed to, put all the quarters back in this change machine. Well, there's always problems with the change machine. I had to unplug it. I had to plug it back in. And uh, doing all these, the cord was messed up. And I was always cranky with the change machine. And so I was putting all these quarters, and it was about four stacks of quarters this big. So a good bit of quarters was in this machine. Well, the change machine wasn't working. And so there was two wires that were sticking out that normally weren't there. And I said, oh, that's the problem. And I connected the wires. That was not a good call. Because I was covered in sweat, and I electrocuted myself. As I electrocuted, I mean, it was, it was a good one, okay? And so I went, I just went, oh, like that. And I smacked those quarters, and all those quarters, stacks of four, this big, went up in the air and landed on the ground and scattered everywhere. I was covered in sweat. I picked them all up. And I tell you what, I was not courageously asking God to grow my ministry during that time. So these things kept happening. And I was like, Lord, what are you trying to do? Lord, you need me to do something different. And uh, then I got a phone call from Brother Will one day. And he said he wanted to meet with me. And a person that was a ministry coordinator at the ranch, Dale Stover, is a friend of mine. He was stepping down from his position and Brother Will met with me, and he said, hey, I'd like for you to be the next camp director here at the ranch. As he said that, I don't remember anything else he said after that. I just sat there, and I just sort of stared at the wall. I know you see me do that a lot, but it was all of a sudden, God put a piece in my heart, and he said, that's what it is. That's what it is. Let me tell you something. Those two years that I missed doing camp stuff, it has come back double fold. I have all the camp that I could ever want every single day of my life, and I love every minute of it. 
I just had to be create courageous and ask God to grow my ministry. You know, you need to get to be at a point where you ask God to do the same thing for you. You know, my ministry isn't done. I'm still kicking, right? So I need to still be asking God to grow. And so should you. So not only should we be, number one, be faithful with the basics. Number two, we need to be courageous about asking God to grow our ministry. And number three, and our time will be done. We need to be flexible on the ministry that God gives us. You know, I wasn't too excited about getting the change machine, but that was the ministry that God gave me. Sometimes you're going to ask pastor, you could say, pastor, I, I would like to do some more things around the church. And he may say something like this. I have some chairs for you to set up. Well, that's not what I was expecting. You may hear, yeah, I need some more people to sign up for to clean up the church. I need some more nursery workers. That's always a blessing, right? But those things are needed. So when you're asking God to grow your ministry, you can't be picky about it. You simply just need to say, okay. And maybe, just maybe, that's the ministry that God's called you to. Turn your Bible to John chapter number three. We find a good example on how to deal with being flexible in ministry. John chapter number three. John chapter three, and or excuse me, John chapter 13. I apologize, I read that wrong. John, John chapter 13 in verse number three. John 13, verse 3, Jesus, knowing that the Father hath given all things into his hands and that he has come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with thee. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith to him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and ye are clean, but not all. For he knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, ye are not all clean. So after he had washed their feet and taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, know ye what I have done to you. You call me master and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, ye ought to wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. There's the example that we have from our Savior, Jesus Christ. I can't think of a lower job than washing people's feet. There's a lot of other jobs I would rather have. I would bring back the change machine than wash y'all's feet. That does not sound exciting to me at all. But the Son of the living God, as an example, as a servant, washed 
his disciples' feet. So if the Lord Jesus can wash all his disciples' feet, don't you think we can put up some chairs? Don't you think we can wash, watch some kids in the nursery? Don't you think we can do more around the church? Don't you think we can be more attentive in church and show up to church? I think so. You see, if you sweat the small stuff, you will be part of the big stuff. When you do the big stuff, you still have to do the small stuff. It doesn't end. You may say, well, this guy has a big job, pastor of Spring Meadow Baptist Church. You know what? I think I saw him set up chairs the other day. We won't put him in the nursery. But he does a lot of small stuff around the church. And he's supposed to be what? Big stuff, right? No, if you sweat the small stuff, if you do well with the small things, you're going to be faithful in the big things. And God knows that. Won't you let him use you? Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed tonight.